Looking back at over 60 years of life right now for me, I can say with confidence that the summer after my freshman year in college was by far the hardest season ever in my life. I had become a Christian only a few months earlier through the Christian Fellowship on And I tell you, the, those first few months of the Christian life were just wonderful. Uh, God gave me a group of friends who shared my new faith and, and encouraged me to live for Christ. For the first time in my life, too, the Bible had come alive to me. So I, I was going to fellowship meetings. You guys now call them DCF meetings, maybe. I'd gone to them on campus every Friday evening, and I was part of a <clears throat> close-knit Bible study on Tuesday evenings. So the semester was going great, and that year on campus ended so well, too. After finals, along with the fellowship, I attended a week-long conference at a very remote but very beautiful place called Dublin Gap. And yes, I had a room up in the Creaky House. And I tell you, I literally loved that week. And then after lunch on Friday in the dining hall, much like all of you, I went home. Now the only job that I could get that summer was as a security guard on a large construction site. So my, my task each day was to accompany a construction crew around the work site, making sure that they didn't enter any secure areas of the main facility. Now picture it if you could, they, they were dressed in hard hats and t-shirts and dirty jeans and work boots. I had a uniform. It was a light blue polyester security guard uniform, complete with a black clip-on tie, a shiny metal badge, and a whistle that hung by a hook from my pocket, and my shoes always had to be polished. So I remember my first day on the job, and I, I brought with me what any naive college freshman who was also a brand new Christian who was to guard men twice his age and muscle mass would bring. I brought my lunch, I brought my Bible, and I brought an expectation that God would use me to bring construction workers to Jesus. Boy, I would have stories to tell back on the campus in the fall. Well, as you can probably imagine, it did not go well. Most every day on the site that summer, I was mocked for being religious. I will not repeat the words that they used, but they cut very, very deeply. As a running joke, I was invited most days to join the crew after work at a local strip club for drinks and entertainment, and the entertainment was not karaoke. They would hand me advertisements to this club throughout the day just to see my reaction to all the explicit pictures that they were handing me. And I was subject to the most crude language and coarse joking that I had ever heard even to this day. That was my summer. 
So picture this. I leave Focus on Friday. I start this job on Monday. And in a matter of days, I had gone from a community in which I was accepted to a community where I was soundly rejected. I had gone from an environment where I was encouraged to one in which I was regularly mocked. I had gone from having friends who were praying with me and for me to being around men who jeered at me. And whereas the community on campus had affirmed everything I had come to believe, I was now in a place which led me to question everything that I had just recently come to believe. Now this was before the era of cell phones. So I, I, I couldn't text my friends for prayer or encouragement. I couldn't listen to a Christian podcast on my lunch hour. <clears throat> now sadly, being at home didn't help much my family was not Christian. They did not understand my new faith at all. I was very lonely, very discouraged, and very, very tempted to give up on my new Christian faith, at least for the summer, and then pick it up in the fall and not tell anyone what I had done. Looking back, I wish I had known about or read the letter that we are going to study this week. I wish I had known about 1 Peter. 1 Peter would have been a very good friend to have that summer. Now maybe you know what it's like to be an outcast for simply being a Christian. Maybe you felt it in some of the classes that you're taking or, or, or just the general atmosphere on campus. Maybe you've been afraid of identifying with Jesus too closely for just that very reason. And as you look back on this year, honestly, you, you've chosen the path of least resistance. Maybe you're here this week and you're looking ahead to the summer months with a mixture of joy because classes are done, as well as dread at being, being home and maybe feeling very alone. You know, perhaps this, this year on campus, for you, has felt like living in two different worlds, where you alternate between keeping the Christian side happy while at the same time doing whatever it takes to fit in with others. So as we begin, I want to ask you, have you ever wondered this question? Have you ever wondered, how can I possibly honor Jesus when so many things around me are pressing in the opposite direction? Have you ever wondered that? Perhaps the question that you're considering, if you're here this week, is one of, just what does it mean to be a Christian, basically? You're, you're just considering Jesus himself. What does it mean to follow the one whom the world seems so set against? 
But if you're wondering, how can I maintain my, my dignity and my witness as a Christian and still live in the world that's pressing in opposite directions? If that's at all you, friend, I wanna tell you, it's my privilege as well as the privilege of our staff team to introduce you to First Peter this week. Because the Apostle Peter wrote his letter to a group of people very much like you and I to answer that very important question. How can I be a witness in a world that doesn't seem to want it anymore? So let me pray, and we'll just look at the first two verses of 1 Peter. God, we are so grateful that you have set apart this week for us. Thank you, Father, for your graciousness and generosity in allowing our time together to happen. And Father, I pray that as we live in community with each other, but mostly as we sit under the ministry of your word, that you would give us ears to hear, that your, your word would, would, in a sense, come alive to us. We could understand it. We could see how it would apply. We'd see the glory of Jesus, that we'd be challenged or convicted or encouraged, whatever you need to do to us, Father. We lay ourselves before you. We pray that you would use our time. In Jesus' name, amen. The first two verses are right at the top of your outline on page nine. Let me read them for you. <clears throat> Peter writes this, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is the intro to the letter. Now, if you're wondering, where is verse two? It was dropped, so if you're into the details, see that word according in the second line? You can put a little two right before that. That's the start of verse two, okay? There it is. So, if you look at your outline, I just want to briefly walk us through four things. An unlikely shepherd, a scattered flock, a foundational identity, and a surprising prayer. All of that in two verses as we start focus together. So first, an unlikely shepherd. Now I want you to notice in verse one, Peter begins his letter with a very, very brief introduction. Did you notice that? Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Not many details why the original audience had no need for them. Peter was well known in the early church. My guess is he's well known to many of you. He was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus and was part of Jesus's inner circle, the other two in that circle being James and John. Now, strangely enough, Peter was an unlikely man to shepherd a church that was going through hard times and suffering. Let me tell you why. Many years earlier, as he walked with Jesus, when Jesus announced to the apostles that he was going to have to suffer and die, you remember what Peter did? Peter took him aside and rebuked him. He said to Jesus, this shall never happen to you. 
See, at that point, Peter's vision for life did not include suffering. And after Jesus' arrest, and right before his crucifixion, the Gospels tell us that Peter denied Jesus three times. In other words, faced with the prospect of suffering with Christ and for Christ, you know what he did? He folded. He folded. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter had been forgiven and restored. In fact, he even received a commission from Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospel of John. We won't look at it, but Jesus had repeated it three times. He said to Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. And you know what, friends? By God's grace, Peter obeyed. First Peter is evidence of of that. He's shepherding the sheep. Now, when Peter wrote this letter, he was an old man, at least by the standards of the time. It had been almost 30 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. So, So Peter was nearing the end of a life that had been filled with suffering for the sake of the gospel. Within about four years, he would be martyred for his faith. Peter wrote this letter from Rome, where the church was undergoing intense suffering. The infamous and very aggressive Nero was the Roman emperor at the time. Now, all that to say, here's the point. Peter was a most unlikely shepherd. He had grown from a man who rebuked Jesus and denied Jesus and avoided suffering to become an apostle who gave his life for Jesus. And now this unlikely shepherd is writing to a flock of Christians who are desperately in need of encouragement and direction. And that's your second point. Right there, a surprised and, or a scattered flock, a scattered flock. So Peter here is running to Christians who for various reasons have been dispersed or scattered throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, I have a map for you right there if you just look at it. So you see in the upper right corner, that sort of dotted circle there, that's where they were. That's the region. That's all those place names that's right there in verse 1. And if you look at the top left-hand corner, see where it says Rome? So that's where Peter is. So he's writing to Christians who are all the way over there. Now, these Christians that he's writing to were not experiencing formal or what we call like state-sponsored persecution. That was happening primarily in Rome, where Peter was. The opposition that they faced was equally real, but think about it this way. It, it, was, it was more informal. It was personal. It was relational persecution. Bottom line, They were being mocked and mistreated because of their association with Jesus. Listen to this. Just going to read a couple of snatches from 1 Peter to give you a sense of it. So in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, grieved by various trials. In chapter 3, verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness' sake. 
Chapter three, verse 16. Those who mock your good behavior in Christ. Chapter four, verse 12. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Chapter four, verse 14. When you are insulted for the name of Christ. Chapter four, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian. Now, suffering and mistreatment have become the regular condition of their lives as exiles. In fact, the word suffer or suffering occurs 18 times in this letter, far more than any other book or letter in the Bible. Friends, think about it this way. Peter who years earlier didn't want to have anything to do with suffering, all of a sudden can't stop talking and writing about suffering. And, and as, this, as the suffering hit these exiled Christians, they were surprised. It makes sense because this was all new to them, which is why in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. See, these Christians had left their homes, they had left their communities, they had been tossed into the wider world, they had left what was normal and predictable and safe, and the world in which they were now living was at odds with so much of what the gospel stood for. Let me ask you, does that sound at all familiar to your life? Friends, this is where we are now in our culture as, as we represent Jesus Christ. And their temptation is probably the same as the temptation that many of us face. Our temptation is often to do whatever it takes to fit in, to compromise, to make enough adjustments so that you can still claim to be a Christian legally, but you certainly don't stand out as one. Or many of us, we just like to complain that, well, things aren't the way they used to be. The audience that Peter writes to is scattered and they are surprised. So how does Peter feed them? It's your third point. Foundational identity. Peter does something in verses one and two that sets the tone for the entire letter. You're gonna see this theme all the way through. Here it is, before Peter tells them what to do, he reminds them of who they are. Uh, 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 let me say it another way. Before he talks to them about their work for God, he reminds them of God's work for them. Now, Make no mistake, Peter is going to be clear on what they and you and I should do. There are a lot of commands in 1 Peter. You're going to see them probably starting primarily tomorrow night as we get into the book. When I counted, I found 74 commands in 1 Peter. 74 commands in a letter that is only 105 verses. So there's a lot to do. These exiled Christians desperately need to know what to do. But before they need to know what to do, they need to remember who or whose they are. 
Remember, their activity is going to flow out of their identity. So who are they? Look at verse 1 there. Look at those two words that Peter puts together, elect exiles. Do you see it there? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. That is their foundational identity as they move ahead into the world. Elect exiles. Think about those two words, right? Elect. <clears throat> that means chosen by God on the basis of his grace. They had not elected themselves, but God had elected them. He had chosen them to be his own simply because of his mercy. That's elect. And then that second word, exile. Y'all know what an exile is, right? An exile is someone who's been banished or, or has fled from their home or their native land. Some other words that other versions use are strangers, aliens. So look at those two words, elect exiles. What an amazing contrast. Elect exiles, chosen outcasts, beloved strangers. But Peter is clear, friends, this is who they were. And if you are a Christian here tonight, this is who you are, an elect exile. And in fact, if Peter had issued me a first century name tag, it wouldn't have looked as nice as this. He would have simply done, here we go, Mark Fodale, here we go, and bang, elect exile. Because that's it. That's foundational identity, elect exile. And this is so foundational to Peter's letter and our identity that we want to make sure that you remember that this week and beyond. So we have a gift for you after this session. See this uh, wristband I have on? It says elect exile. There it is. So I have 200 of them here. I'm going to put them right here. Wear it this week. Wear it this summer. And if you're ever wondering, who am I, Lord? Say elect exile. Chosen outcast. And revisit what we learned from First Peter. So they may have been tempted to view their situation as a mistake or as evidence that God had forgotten about them or rejected them. But Peter, just as he starts, is crystal clear. God had chosen them, not only to be his own, but to be scattered in the world as his own. It's the same with us. That, that phrase, elect exiles, reminded them, it reminds us that we are in the world as exiles, but we are not of the world. We are elect. We are chosen. Now, in verse 2, Peter drills even deeper, even deeper. Look at verse 2, and I, I told you to put that little number there, but it starts with the word according. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, we're just going to spend a few minutes here. This is rich stuff. In verse 2, Peter brings the whole weight of the Trinity 
to bear on their identity and their situation. He assures them that who they were and where they were was no mistake. In fact, I think in in verse two, in a few short words, Peter answers some very important questions that they may have been asking, and my guess is some of you might be asking. Here, Here are the three questions really quick. Why am I in elect exile? Like why? How did this happen? Number two, what hope do I have as an elect exile? And then number three, what is my purpose in being an elect exile? Let's just take them really quick. First, why am I an elect exile? Look at the first thing he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's why. Who they were. And where they were was not determined by any earthly government. Their condition and location had not been determined by the decree of Nero, but by the decree of God himself, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God did not react, God acted. Before knowledge was, God knew. And so they were elect exiles. And friend, you are an elect exile because of the perfect before knowledge of God the Father. In fact, six times in this letter, Peter is going to remind his readers that no matter the situation or the condition, they have been called to it by God. There are no mistakes. Okay, so the first question is, why am I an elect exile? Let's go to the second one. What hope do I have as an elect exile? In other words, I don't know about you, how can I possibly do this elect exile thing? That's that second phrase. Do you see it right there? In the sanctification of the Spirit or, or by the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is, is, is a great fancy word. It simply means the process of being made holy, of being set apart for God. And so what Peter is saying here is, God the Father foreknew them and chose them to be his own. He sent them into the world to represent him as exiles, but they weren't going alone. The Spirit was with them, the Spirit was in them, and the Spirit was at work through them. Friends, what an encouragement, and you're going to see it as we go through 1 Peter. You are never alone as an elect exile. Never. The power and person of the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Huh? Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So... Why am I an elect exile? Simple, God chose me. What hope do I have as an elect exile? The spirit is in me. Here's the last one. What is my purpose then in being an elect exile? What's my purpose? What am I to do? It's that last phrase there. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now notice here, Peter uses a very rich image 
as well as a very clear purpose. The image is sprinkling with blood. That comes from the Old Testament. We don't have time to look at it, but it simply means forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then he talks about the clear purpose, obedience to Christ. Bottom line is this, is what he's saying. As you and I have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, now we are called to live in obedience to Christ. Forgiveness leads to obedience. That's our purpose. As God chose us, the Spirit indwelt us for one reason, to live for Christ in obedience to Christ because we have been forgiven by Christ. Friends, that's our call. See, see, our purpose in the Christian life is not simply to survive or to get through it. Our, our efforts should not simply be directed at ending the hardship that comes with living for Jesus or, or softening it or, or walking the line just enough so that we don't feel the full effects of being an elect exile. No way! The Trinity has a more glorious plan for you than that. We are elect exiles. Our first century brothers and sisters were elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ to represent him in a world that's desperately in need of him. That's our mission. That's our call. And that's what we're going to look at this week. Now, really quick, look how Peter ends this very, very brief introduction. Look at the very last line there. In verse 2, he says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now that's pretty amazing. So as Peter is writing clearly about suffering, the effect or the intent of all that he writes is this, he wants grace and peace to be multiplied to them and to you. I don't know about you, that's amazing. Because in the midst of turmoil or hardship, Peter says that his goal in this letter is that they would have the two things that probably seemed most conspicuously absent from their lives as elect exiles, which would be grace and peace. But that's what he's after. And notice he not only desires that grace and peace be simply added to their lives. He uses a different word. Did you see it? Multiplied. That's what he wants in your life as you read through this letter. That grace would be multiplied. The, the, the awareness of the undeserving love of God for you poured out in Jesus Christ. He wants that multiplied in your life. He wants peace multiplied in your life. The assurance of God's pleasure and God's control over everything and anything. Peter's prayer as he closes his short introduction for them and for us is that those two things would be multiplied. And friends, that is my and our prayer for you as well. That as we study through this letter in our main sessions, as you read through a portion of it each morning after breakfast, as we press into some of the implications in our breakouts, we want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. We want you to be more and more strengthened by grace and peace, more and more certain of grace and peace, more and more compelled by grace and peace. I would love it if when you and I leave here at the end of the week, 
and someone were to ask you, so what'd you get at Focus? I would hope that you would say, grace and peace. I got so much grace and peace. I'm ready for the weeks ahead. I'm just ready for it. So, elect exile. Welcome to Focus. I am so glad that you're joining me and us as we live together and learn together for a week before God sends us out. Let me pray. Father, thank you for choosing us to be your own. Thank you for sending our Lord Jesus Christ into our midst to live the perfect life and die the death that we should have died. Thank you for your indwelling spirit. Thanks for the great call upon our lives to be elect exiles, chosen outcasts to represent you and to obey Jesus. Father, our prayer is the same as Peter's, that as we study through this letter, as we are open to your ministry to us through it, that grace and peace would be multiplied to us that you may receive all the glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.